trust that God will be speaking to them, to them out of God's Word as their leaders uh, work with them. Uh, last uh, Lord's Day, we began uh, our series back in the book of Ephesians, and uh, as we uh, focused on uh, what God has for us, we, we actually began by asking the question, what kind of church does God want His church to be? And we answered very simply, God wants His church to be a church where people can see... I think I need to re-preach that message all over again. All right. Yeah, really, uh, the way we phrased it, some of you got the answers right, but basically, God wants His church to be a church where people can see Christ. Uh, it, it gets as simple and straightforward as that, and, and sometimes we can miss what God has for us because we make life a lot more complicated than He wants it to be. He wants His church to be a church where people can see Christ. Now, hopefully you can get this as well right, or a little bit more right. What kind of home does he want his homes to be? He wants his homes, those who are identified with him, to be homes where people can see Christ. Getting a little bit better. Now, let me just try this because this is down the road a little bit. As we think about where his people are at, at, at work or at school, he wants where his people are at as People are working or at school. He wants people to be able to see Christ a little bit better, right? Actually, as you think about what God wants for us, wherever we go, God wants other people to see Christ in us, whether individually or collectively. And this morning, we're, we're, we're branching out to look at the second part. We've looked at seeing Christ at church, but we're going to look at how God wants us to, to live out the lives where people can see Christ in our homes. And as I was uh, just uh, looking at this again and, and with um, just enthusiasm, because this is, this is the challenge, isn't it? To, to live for Christ uh, everywhere we go. And sometimes we can, we can put on the spiritual smile here and try to act fairly well around uh, God's people when we're gathered together. But, but when we live day in and day out at home, how does God want us to, to demonstrate and reflect the presence of Christ in our lives? Well, we're going to see that this morning. And as I was preparing, I have to, I have to confess that, I, that have you ever been to a meal and, and your eyes were bigger than your stomach and you afterwards say, I ate a lot more than I should have eaten? Uh, I've had opportunity to uh, listen to a lot of pastors and sometimes pastors will, will talk about what kind of style they ought to use when they preach. Some people have the style where, you know, when, you, when people come to church, don't, don't give them a snack, give them a full meal. And then other preachers will say, you know, if, if you dump too much on them, they won't remember what? Anything. And so um, I'm wrestling with that today. I, I, right before I came out, I said, you know, you, you need to make this full course meal maybe a, just a little smaller. So it's quite possible in case you get worried. Some of you get worried when I'm only, you know, a third of the way done and I got 20, you know, only two more minutes left. Uh, it's quite possible we won't get through everything this morning. However, the challenge is, is that the Life Group Bible study is based on everything I'm supposed to say today, but uh, I don't know how we'll work that out if we only get halfway through. Because really, if you look at the title this morning, if you have your outline, I encourage you to look at it. It was entitled, Seeing Christ at Home, comma, and then the next word is ladies. Now, as we look at the, uh, the home, particularly as, as you bring into the relationship of husband and wife, there are basically two genders. There are ladies and then there are men. Well, we're going to spend more time on the men because they need more help. Uh, but I was thinking about being able to get through this in one Sunday with the ladies. But I really want to give uh, some time to, to, to set the scene of what I'm going to say to you this morning. And so depending on how long I take at the, the front part of our message, we probably will not get to the second part. But as you think about the home, the home is a place where 
Uh, life is communicated, and sometimes it's communicated well and s- sometimes not so well. I, I read a story just recently, and it was, uh, it was a husband and wife. They were at a party, and they were chatting with some friends when the subject of marriage counseling came up. Oh, we'll never need that. My husband and I have gr- a great relationship, the wife explained. He was a communications major in college, and I majored in theater arts. He communicates real well, and I just act like I'm listening. <laughs> and sometimes that's how it is. We're, we're putting on a facade. We're, we're trying to do some things where we might look good on the outside. On the inside, it's not really coming from the heart. And we need to realize that really that's what God's focus is. It's not so much on the external, but what's on the inside. Because if it's right on the inside, it will leak out on the outside. And really, that was his challenge to the religious people that day, particularly those who, who knew this book backwards and forwards, particularly the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes. They knew this book. In fact, not only know this book well, they would write all kinds of things about this book. But what they missed was that as we get this book into our mind, it's supposed to filter into our hearts. And if it never gets there, then we've missed the meaning. We've missed the point. We don't eliminate the content but what we do is we focus, it's supposed, to, it's supposed to filter down to who we really are on the inside. And so as we think about the home, it really is a place where the heart manifests itself, either in a good way or a not so good way in terms of just what kind of people are we really. And so as Paul speaks into the church, which is the family of God, he recognizes that the family of God corporately will only be healthy if the nuclear family is healthy as well, because we spend more time in our homes than we do gather together uh, on a Sunday or in a, in a small group uh, as we see each other throughout life. We spend all our time where we live and where we work. And so as, as Paul has spoken into them to recognize they have a new identity in Christ and they, they have a new source of the presence of God and the power of God in their life, he says, now I want you to understand, if you really get this, it will manifest itself in your relationships with each other as the church, but it will filter into the home as well. And we need to recognize, never perfectly, I mean, we are always a work in project, in process. But we need to understand that's where God wants us to, to live it out throughout the week, and particularly in the home. Now, as we think about this, so how can that be? I, you know, I've been in church all my life, and, and I'm still struggling at home, or I'm still struggling with all kinds. How is that supposed to happen? Well, this is why I'm going back to something that, that Paul emphasizes. He gets into this extremely practical part of his writing to this, this church in Ephesus. He, he says, I want you to understand that the Christian life should be a God thing, not a self thing. It's got to be coming from your relationship with God and not just your own ability to, to make yourself a little bit better. There, uh, particularly in our culture, the self-help movement has been um, going pretty strong for a number of years. But if we look at our society in America, are we better than we were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago? Uh, we've got a lot more information of, of having people being told how to live but the problem, you, mean, you can be told how to live, but you might not have the power or resource to live it out. And, and that's why distinctly the Christian life is not just you know, turning over a new leaf, it's, it's becoming a new leaf. It's not just trying something new, it's being somebody that is new. And then understanding how, how can you live that out. And, and so that's why Paul begins by, by emphasizing, if you have your outline this, this, this morning, how can we see Christ at 
at church? How can we see Christ at home, at work, at school, wherever we live? The only way that works is if we are filled with God's Spirit. And that's, that was the beginning part. We always need to remember to be filled with the Spirit of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, or you could say which is a waste, and people who drink too much are wasted. He said, But be filled with the Spirit. Be under the control. Be under the influence. Surrender yourself in dependence upon the one who lives on the inside. Now, that sounds so simple, but so often we don't do that which is simple and straightforward. Uh, you know, what governed your life yesterday? Was it focusing on yourself or was it focusing on the spirit who dwells within you and, and leaning upon him and, and the word of God that he has placed in your heart and mind? So it's a conscious effort to say, I want to be moved by him and not just move my, my own emotions, my own desires. I want to rely upon his strength, not my own strength. Now, as we think about that, however, how does that, how does that manifest itself in terms of, of the quality of our life? What will that look like? You know, does my halo shine a little bit brighter when I'm filled with the Spirit and everybody can see the glow on my face? You know, am I like Moses, had the veil and people just see that shining? I haven't had anybody say that about me, so I guess that can't be it. Okay, so how is that supposed to be? Well, Paul talks about that and he says, I want you to understand, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. What is that? A person who is filled with the Spirit, there are a number of words you could use, but one is they're worshipful. And worshipful is not necessarily, and I like what Mark said, that there's one song or one chorus he could have felt like he could have sung all week this week. But it is having a melody in your heart. It, it is reflecting back to God, His presence. And that's really what worship is. It, it's valuing God more than anything else in this world. It, it's recognizing that, that there's nothing better than Him. His loving kindness is new every morning, that, you're, that you long to be in His presence. And, and, and you put Him at highest value, being worshipful. In fact, uh, the reason I, I, I tied this word, you could also the word, use the word joyful, worshipful or joyful. There's a melody in your heart. But in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, it says this, For we are the circumcision. Now, that's just a religious word to say we are, we are marked by God. They were marked physically, the, the male child and the, and the covenant relationship that God had with the people of Israel. But when we, when we become a Christian, we are marked by God. That's what circumcision is, a cutting of the flesh. But... Circumcision in the New Testament is not a cutting of the external flesh, but the flesh and the heart. We are marked by God. Now, when we're marked by God, what does that result in? It says in Philippians 3.3, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the what? In the Spirit. And so as we think about allowing people to see Christ in our lives, at church, at at home, and work where we live, it, it, it begins with, us desiring to be with Him, desiring to, to put our eyes and heart upon Him. It's, it's putting Him in a place where we want to honor Him in everything that we do. One of the focuses that we want to, I was talking with the elders a couple weeks ago in 2014, is, is help that be visualized in terms of what does it mean to be a worshiping church, not only together but throughout the week, living a lifestyle of worship. You know, Romans 12, 1 and 2 said, I, I, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual 
service of worship. So our whole lives ought to be an, an act of worship where we see the value of God and, and His presence in our lives. So we, we, and part of that is expressed in joy as we, as we sing a melody to Him. So we ought to be worshipful or joyful. We also ought to be grateful. Look at verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the, the result of being Christ-centered, spirit-centered, is that you will be a person who is filled with gratitude toward God. Even during the diff- most difficult times, you will be thankful for all the blessings He has given you. And, and of course, I, I can always be marked if, if I'm kind of living a self-centered life or spirits centered life is that i'm more complaining than i am being grateful and so there's practical ways to measure are are we really walking in the spirit are we grateful are we thankful and then then the one we're going to be looking at at the home is in verse 21 submitting to one another in the fear of god now what does it mean to submit and we're going to see that this morning and probably the week after that but submitting in many ways is living a life in which you are respectful to the people around you. Uh, you could also say that you live a life of humility or you are humble. So you're a person who is worshipful, you're grateful, and you're respectful. You're a person that is, that is joyful, you're thankful, and you're humble. And hopefully you'll see that as we look at what that word submit really means. In many ways, I, I was thinking about labeling or entitling this message in other ways. You've heard of some people uh, sometimes using the F-bomb too much, you know. I thought I might entitle this message the (laughs) S-bomb. I thought, well, that might be a little bit too colorful in terms of what you might come to, right? But but in many ways, you know, as people think about the word submit or being submissive or living a life of submission, it's kind of the, the S word. They, they say that this is not a word I want to use. This is not a word I want to, to have a label to describe me. Well, yeah, he, that person is very submissive. And, and they see it, see it as, a, as a weak platform to live a life. Well, hopefully we're going to see that that is not true for the, the spirit-filled follower of Jesus Christ. That, that a submission is, is part of our who we are, our lifestyle. Now, what does it mean to be submissive? The word submission literally means to rank yourself under, particularly someone, particularly the person who is in a position of authority, but with respect. The technical Greek word is hupotasso. Tasso is to to rank or to um, consider yourself under. And then it's in that place where you you see that you are, are voluntarily and willingly and even respectfully being willing to be guided by someone else. Now, as we think about that, the Bible paints that in a couple different ways. In one sense, that there is a general principle where we're all submissive to one another. In fact, your outline, I think I put it this way. There is a general principle of mutual submission. So the S word, which often when we talk about the family, we're going to see that, if not this week, next week, is that it is particularly applied to the wife in her relationship to her husband. But we need to understand that that is not simply a role that women have 
particularly to the man in the home. This is a lifestyle that every gender is responsible to live out if we are going to allow people to see Christ in us. There's a place of mutual submission. It seems to be indicated in verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And we need to understand that the word fear is not always just reverence or awe. You know, when you mess up, when a person's in a position of authority over you, whether it's your boss or your coach, you know, or your parent, or if you're in the military, you're the officer above you, there is a sense of what? Fear. It's not just reverence and awe because you know there's consequences because they have the power to give consequences. And we need to understand when we are not submissive, when we don't see that our lives ought to be lived in such a way that we rank ourselves, range ourselves under other people who will be in the position of guiding uh, our lifestyle, then we have missed what it means to be a Christ follower. And part of that is so easily seen as we look at the example of Jesus and the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians. Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. And as you're turning there, I wouldn't mind as a male that this was not true, that all women ought to submit to me. But that's not, that's not how the Bible presents it. However, many people look at the Bible as being chauvinistic. Oh, yeah, the man, he's everything, and the women are nothing. That, that's, not, that's not what the Bible teaches. It never has taught that. Uh, people have twisted it to mean that, but that has not what the Bible has taught. Look at Philippians chapter 2. The Bible says, Therefore, if there is any consolation of Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the, of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Which is just a, a wordy way to say this. If, if you've gotten anything out of Jesus, if, if you look at what God has given you in Him, if, if you experience His love, if you've experienced His comfort, if you've experienced His presence, if God has made a difference, then now live like it. But then he goes on even more specific. He says, not only be unified, don't be always fighting with each other. He says in verse 3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, which is the idea of ranking yourself under someone, even though you might not have to in a, in a human perspective, but in a spiritual perspective, God wants you to. And in lowliness of mind, let each others let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, that's a, that's a radical statement, isn't it? That each of us need to look at other people as more important than ourselves. You know, uh, Brandon said, everybody say, welcome. All right. Let me give you a harder thing to say to the person next to you. You are better than me. Go ahead and say that. <laughs> All right. now, now, I probably is not the most accurate thing to have you say that, but, but when we esteem someone else more important than ourselves, at, at that point we're saying, your needs are more important than mine. They're, they're better than my needs, isn't it? Isn't that what we're saying? It's going through life and saying, look, I'm not supposed to live a self-centered life, but an other-centered life. And let me, let me just say this about leadership. Leadership, and I've said this many times before, is a person in a position of responsibility. 
not, not domineering power, but in a responsibility from, a, from God's perspective to, listen to this, submit their desires as lower than the desires of the people they're leading. And see, that's why even, even the leader as he leads from God's perspective is living a life of submission because what he wants to do or what she wants to do in terms of the relationship is, is be there for the benefit or joy of the other person. And there's full circle when that comes up. You know what gives a, a, a greatest, the greatest joy for leaders is when the people he is leading or she is leading are filled with life and joy and happiness and significance. You know, for us sportsaholics, you know, as you think about, you know, the Super Bowl, and they always say that the quarterback gets more credit, you know, when they win and more blame when they lose. But let's just talk about the first part of it. You know, the quarterback obviously is the leader of the team. When they're on the field, he has the most, most influence on the outcome of the game. But since both is true, his greatest source of joy is when he makes his teammates better. The quarterback that they're all talking about today, Peyton Manning, they're saying, is he, is he the greatest quarterback in, you know, in the history of NFL? He's got most of the records. But, but the thing that's keeping him from getting that label universally is that his teams haven't won as many Super Bowls as other quarterbacks. See, he will be rated as a leader, as a quarterback, based on how well he leads in such a way that he makes his players better. And, and see, in the home, and we're going to see this, the role of the husband, the role of the husband is to make his wife happy and better and more significant. And he will, he will submit his desires if they are in contrast to hers, but if to her benefit and her joy if that's the outcome of decisions in the direction he leads. And again, in submission, it's not that you don't, you don't listen to the people that, that you're leading. And the reason, the reason he emphasizes, we're going to get this, oh, my mind, I get through half this message, okay, is that there are so many parts of life, you know, two people can't lead. There has to be someone. Have you noticed when, when people are in a car, there's only one person what? Driving. Can you see the disaster of two hand, if four hands were on the wheel? It'd be horrific. Now, now sometimes, most of the time, us men, we, we need our wives on our, our right to tell us which direction to go. You know? I mean, we get input from them, but only one person can drive. If, if you're... There are all kinds of dance steps now, but if you were doing formal dancing, okay, someone has to what? Has to lead. And often, you know, the partner of the one who is being led can often make the one who is leading look like a lot better dancer than that person really is by how they follow and, and support and encourage. I heard a definition of this this week. It said, submission is an invitation and an encouragement for someone else to lead and to lead well. 
And that's why respect and willingness and even a sense of joy to, to follow in a way that makes that person lead better. And so the S word is not a word of, of inferiority or, or, or lack of, of strength that needs to reside in the person who was following. It's just a role. A role in one sense we all play with each other because our desire is, is not to esteem ourselves or consider ourselves more important, but consider the needs of others as higher than our own. And, and Paul put those in, in statements, words, but then he set the example in Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 5. He says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And let's be honest, everything starts in the mind. It, it doesn't go directly to the heart. It has to go through our thinking process before we say, okay, that's settled. That's who I'm, I'm going to be. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Jesus being fully God. As the Godhead looked at the needs of the people he created in his image. The second person of the Trinity said, I am willingly choosing to submit myself to become a man and then live in submission to God the Father while I'm here. And I'm willing to be sacrificial at that point. I'm willing even to give my life for the sake of others. Then it goes on. And, it says, and because he was willing to submit, his name is exalted above every name on heaven and earth. In many ways, when we're in a position of submission, we have the opportunity to demonstrate how Jesus lived while he was here, and, and that gives great honor and glory to him. So there's, there's a place as we think about seeing Christ at church and at home is that there is, there is that challenge for us to surrender our wills and our desires, even sometimes our ambitions, to the needs of others. Cementing, arranging ourselves under those we live with. That's mutual submission. But it does get down to the point, okay, well, who, who gets to choose? Okay, are you going to submit? Am I going to submit? Are you going to submit? I'm going to submit. You know, whose turn is it? The Bible talks, gives the general principle of mutual submission, but it also gives the specific principle of positional uh, submission. And give you a few examples of that in, in the New Testament. First Peter chapter two, verses thirteen and fourteen it says this. Therefore submit yourselves, arrange yourself under, to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Now, obviously there he's giving the example submission is for every person who lives in a society there are people who are put in positions of leadership they in other cultures they were kings and ours they could be a president they could be a governor they could be a senator they could be an officer of the law they could be whatever whatever that person is in a position of leadership over you 
He said, you are to see yourself as arranged under them. You are to follow them, not tell them what to do. Now, as you think about that, here's where the rub gets, isn't it? What if that king or that governor or that senator or that congressman or that mayor or that whatever it might be is not a good one? Well, in Paul's day, what kind of leaders did they have? Would you like to change any of our presidents or the last 10 presidents for Nero? I think all of our presidents are hugely better than Nero. And yes, you need to submit yourself, arrange yourself under them, willingly seeking their good. And then he goes on, even not only in a political arena, but even in a spiritual arena. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch over your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, so that it would not be unprofitable for you. You know, those who are in spiritual leadership over you. And this really speaks, it flows into every type of submission. When we submit, it's not just simply saying yes to people, but, but saying with an attitude of respect, trying to give them joy in the midst of their leadership. You know, Good followers make what kind of leaders? Good leaders. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, it says this, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. The older I get, the more I like this verse. Submit, no. but he, he, he was talking about within the spiritual leadership again. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see, and we're going to look up a little bit about this in your, your life group. Uh, Bible studies this week. But when we submit to those in leadership above us, it's a reminder to us that if we submit to people who are in positional leadership above us, what does that speak about what kind of attitude we ought to have the one who is really supreme over us? And, And let's be honest too. The reason we wrestle with submission is because of the the weaknesses of the people who lead the inconsistencies, or sometimes even the abuse of those who lead. But even when we can, as long as there's some, there's, some, there's some safeguards for those who go beyond what leadership is allowed to do. But, but when we submit in areas we simply don't like, and often we don't want to submit in the things we don't like. You know, our coach tells us to run a lap, and we go, why do I have to run a lap? And he says, okay, now run five laps. And you go, run five laps? That's not, you know, whatever it might be, we, we just don't like what they tell us to do. There's nothing wrong with it. We just don't like it. Let's be honest with God. Are, are there times you don't want to submit to God because at that moment you don't really understand what he's doing or maybe even like what he's doing? And, and you, want, you, only, you only want to... F- fall into line when, when you agree with everything that's happening in your life and the people you care about. There, there are times where we submit to God lovingly and joyfully because we understand what He's doing. And other times we have to do it by faith, yielding ourselves. And every time we submit on a human level, it pictures to us what we ought to do with Him. The last point we'll just talk about this morning, I just thought of your outline. This is true. All of life functions with order where there is authority and submission. But we need to understand on a human level, all authority that we have in any, in any realm is delegated authority. Be- because God is the ultimate authority. 
If you're in a position as a teacher in a, in a classroom, the reason you have authority in that classroom because the district is, is giving you that position responsibility to, to instruct those students. And is it possible for that school district to take that authority away from you? Of course you can. They, they can just remove you as a teacher in that district. When, when a coach has responsibility for his players, you know, if the person gets too heady, they, they, they have every, you know, kind of the Bobby Knight mentality where they're throwing chairs and cursing out not everybody in, around them. You know, he thinks like he, he's, he's really the one in authority. It's all delegated because he can get fired from Indiana, which he did. And so as we're in positions of authority or responsibility, we need to be humble about it. It can be taken so fast. And as we're in those roles and being submissive to those who are in authority, that sometimes we're like, why did they put them in charge? And if we, can't, if we can't come up with a great reason, maybe it's just a simple reason, because to teach you again that the life of a follower of Jesus Christ is remembering that we are arranging ourselves under Him and entrusting His guidance, even when we, at times we don't agree or understand. And when we do that with people in authority over us, it, it mirrors that. And, and really, what would, what, would be, what would be the result if, if every time, every time, Someone did not like the person in position of responsibility or leadership over them rebelled. What would be the result of that? The result would be chaos. You know, what, what's the worst kind of government? It's not totalitarian dictatorship. It's anarchy. I mean, all you have to do is look at the nation of France. You know, during their revolutionary periods of time, I mean, it was just horrific because no one was in charge. This week, and this is this is the one note I want to hit for us all. We're all going to have a number of occasions where maybe we're in a position of leadership over someone. Maybe a parent to a child. Maybe a a, a big brother to a little brother. Maybe it's a a relationship. Uh, within a classroom, maybe, maybe it's at work, whatever it might be. Maybe it's just in the home uh, in a variety of responsibilities where delegated responses were given and say, you're in charge of this, you need to get this done. As you think about your role as a leader, what, what kind of leader are you? And, and then as we see ourselves in the role of, of following someone, what, what kind of follower are we? Are we following in, in such a way to, to make the, the leader look better and do better and lead in a, in a way that's, that's productive? Are we, are we the one resisting? Are we the one putting our, our shoes you know, down and, and just like holding back? And then just simply say, how am I in my, my submissive relationship with God? Do I, do I remind myself, okay, I am in a position of not not being God's consultant, but I'm his follower. God wants us to be people that people can see Christ in us. And it begins with us understanding that we are to be submissive to him. Let's pray. Father, the S word is sometimes a word that we, we rebel against because it seems like it's a, it's a restrictive word 
position. And it's one in which we, we live out of weakness. And yet, in many ways, as we think about, about living out what you've called us to live, it's, it's a place of hope. It's a place of trust. It's a place of faith. But we, we, we can illustrate in many ways how destructive people have been when they've been put in positions of responsibility or leadership and have, have created more harm than good. But Father, as we think about that, that gives us an opportunity to pray for them and support them in ways that we can and then try to direct them through the Spirit of God to that place where they could be. But Father, as we think about our relationship with you, help us to be a people that this week just, just remind ourselves that our call is to be submissive to you. As we continue this, this time of worship and as we give unto you, that's, that's, a, that's a statement that we submit our, our resources and our finances to you. And Father, we pray that you might give us joy as we, as we give and as we praise you through song and that might you get the honor. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.